John chapter 14, down by verse number 14. We've been going through the book of John slowly and surely. John chapter 14. Thank you, musicians. Thank you, sound guys. Again, you don't realize how much... (laughs) You know, when it talks about the Kohathites and the guys that carried all the stuff in to build the tabernacle and break it down every week, every time Israel moved, come here at 9 o'clock and you see, like, we simulate that pretty close. And if anybody wants to be a part of that, you're more than welcome to join the fun. Um, I'm sure the guys would welcome another hand. Um, but John chapter 14, verse 14, if you're there, say amen. amen. We're going to look at some verses. We're going to look at a lot of verses today, as is our way that we've inherited and been taught from our pastors. Um, but I want to ask you a question, not to answer out loud, but, you know, why is, ever wonder why one of the world's most popular sporting goods brands is called Nike? It's interesting. You know, we just... We just do it, you know, but we don't realize, you know, where that come from. It's called Nike because Nike is the winged goddess of victory. And that little swoosh on your dunks or on your blazers or whatever you're wearing, that Nike swoosh, David Hakeem, always good to see you, David Hakeem. That Nike swoosh on your sneaker is modeled after the wings of the goddess Nike. If you've ever seen a statue or a depiction of her, her wings look just like the Nike swoosh. And the company Nike has become very famous promoting a slogan, a motivational slogan you all know, just do it. All right, we all know that, that, that slogan, just do it. But do you know where that came from? Now, I got Nikes too, right? But it was coined in 1988. It was inspired by the last words of convicted killer Gary Gilmore. Some of you might know that name, Gary Gilmore. He was on death row for killing people and... Uh, uh, one of the executives of Nike heard what he said before they took him off to be executed. Gary Gilmore said, let's do it. He said, that's an amazing statement. And he said, let's make our slogan, just do it. And that's where it came from. Yes, <laughs> Nike has been using the words of a death row inmate to suggest victory and determination since 1988. Now, why am I bringing this up? Because far too often... The disciples of Jesus Christ adopt the mantra and the mentality of Nike. Want to serve God? Want to win Christ? Want to turn the world upside down for God? Just do it. We get that way. And it's it's thinking that sounds admirable, but it's ill-advised. It's not thought out. It's actually, when you look at the scripture, kind of foolish. And Jesus Christ is speaking in John 14, 14. And I'm all for activity. Those of you that know me, I'm all for burning the candle at both ends. I lost the candle a long time ago. I just got a wick that's on fire. I get it. I'm I'm all for giving it everything you got and all that stuff. But it ain't you doing it. You can't just do it. Is what I'm saying. And so I want you just to look what Jesus says in John 14, 14. He makes it very clear to the disciples that their power to do anything for God, and they were about to go out there and turn the world upside down, but their power to do anything for God had to come from Jesus Christ. He said, if ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. You're not going to just do it. I'm going to do it. And it's a lesson that Jesus Christ gave in that upper room 
over and over and over again to his disciples. So I think it's a lesson every disciple needs to learn. Where does your power come from? What is the disciple's power? That's what I want to talk about. The disciple's power. What's the source of it? Where does it really come from? And hopefully it'll be a blessing to you. Let's pray. Lord, we love you today. We thank you today. And just pray, Lord, you'd help us through this message, Lord, to understand. Help us to be guided into all truth. Help us, Lord, if if someone here is not saved, Lord, to be willing to trust you and what you did on that cross to save them, Lord, because they can't do it. You have to do it. You have to save and thou alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want you to turn to the book of Romans, a couple of books to the right. John and then Acts and then Romans. Romans chapter 6, verse 6. Romans 6, verse 6. Again, if you can keep up with my loudmouth, too fast Italian voice, please do so. If not, you can just sit and listen. I won't be insulted either way. But Romans 6, 6. I just have two points to this message. And the first one is simply this. And it's not anything new. It's not anything groundbreaking. It's not anything other than my stupid head needs to be told over and over and over again. You cannot serve the Lord in your own strength. You cannot just do it. No matter how well-intentioned you are, you cannot just do it without Jesus Christ. You see, there is nothing about your flesh the Lord wants, the Lord needs, or the Lord accepts. Like your talent, your know-how, your ability. God says, I don't need that. I need my son. Look at Romans 6, verse 6. Romans, just throw this in there. Romans happens to be the sixth book of the New Testament. And this is the sixth chapter of the sixth book in the New Testament. And the sixth word of the sixth verse of the sixth chapter in the sixth book of the New Testament is man. Six is the number of man. I'm sure this is just an accident. Romans has six letters in it as well, the title of the book. But I just thought I'd throw that in for free. But he says in Romans 6, verse 6, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed. See, the Bible calls the flesh in this verse the body of sin, because that's what your flesh is full of. (laughs) It's a body of sin. Then go to Romans chapter 7. He calls it something else in Romans chapter 7. Look at verse 24. Romans chapter 7, verse 24. Paul says, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Now the Bible calls the flesh the body of this death. The body of sin is the body of this death. You know why? Because that's all sin brings forth. Sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Kind of like an apple tree brings forth apples, the body of sin is only going to bring forth death. Romans 6.23, most of us know it. For the wages, the compensation, the payment or the result of your sin is death. And if you're not saved, that's what's ahead of you. Death. You say, but I'm 15, I'm 27. It is appointed unto men once to die, right? Death is what's waiting. A hole in the ground is what's waiting. You may dodge your taxes, but you're not going to avoid death because the wages of sin is death and your body is a body of sin and it is going to bring forth death unless God does something and gives you a new nature, but you're in trouble. So the flesh then, just to clarify, is the fallen, edemic, sinful nature you inherited from your great 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 grandfather Adam. 
right? David would write in Psalm 51.5, in sin did my mother conceive me. He wasn't talking about the act of conception. He was talking about the condition in which he was conceived. I was conceived in a state of enmity against God. That's why we don't have to teach little sweet ones like Gracie how to tell their parents no. We don't have to teach those little children that you change and they giggle at you when you see them in the crib. They cry, you know, and then in a few years they're going to break your heart. Right? You never had to teach him that. Now, here's what I want you to do to break mommy's heart and break daddy's heart. Just go out and just do something really dumb and don't be apologizing for it ever. That's really what I want you to do. Just be disobedient and rebellious. Let's practice. No, they don't need any practice. It just comes out of this body of sin because that's the nature. You see, Ephesians 2 verse 3, Paul's writing about Christians before salvation and he says, you were by nature children of disobedience. You were by nature children of wrath. Now look at Romans 7, 5. Look over there in Romans 7, 5. It says there, for when we were in the flesh, that's what you are now, right? You're in that flesh. The motions of sins which were by the law did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. You see, you say, what's working in this body of sin? What's working in this body of death? What's he producing? What's this body making? It's only making sin that leads to death. That's the fruit of it. That's why 10 out of 10 people die. (laughs) That's why it's the ultimate statistic because this body is just producing sin and that sin is leading to death. That's what it was moving. That's what it was doing. That's what it was working. Listen, your feet, you know what your feet wanted to do before Christ? Your feet just wanted to take you where you wanted to go. That's what you did with your feet. And your hands wanted to reach for things that God said not to touch, but you wanted to touch them. So you touch them. Try it out with a little one. Try it. Come to my class. Put the stuff down on the desk and say, please don't flip that over. And watch the edemic nature just, you know, watch them just, all right. It can have nothing on the other side, but I told you not to do it. And that rebel at harsh is like, I'm going to flip this over. You know, it's like the little kid in the back seat in the car. Sit down, honey, sit down. Finally, sit down. And baby sits down. Little kid sits down. But I'm standing on the inside, right? Because there's just that rebellion is built in all the way back from Father Adam. Hey, your mouth wanted to taste the forbidden fruit that God said never to taste. But you just had to taste it. You had to sow those wild oats. You just had to experience it. You just wanted to feel it. You just wanted to know what it was like. What is that? Flesh. Your mind wanted nothing more than to find ways to satisfy your lusts. How do I get more comfort? How do I get more pleasure? How do I get more money? How do I get more popularity? How do I get more of this? How do I get some more of that? That's all you were conceiving in that body of sin. Now go to Ephesians 2. Let me show you something here. I know, you're like, gee, Pat, that's a great way to start the message. All right, well, we'll, we'll get there. Hold on, Ephesians 2. You've got to understand what you've got carrying around with you. <laughs> Ephesians 2, verses 1 to 3. Lord's talking to Christians now. He's talking to saved people now, and he says, And you hath he quickened. Anybody saved here? Say amen. amen. Right? That means you were made alive. You were given something different. God put some life into that body of death. God gave some life to that body of sin. God put something inside that vessel that gives you eternal life, and his name is Jesus Christ. 
It isn't First Bible Church Staten Island. It isn't First Bible Church New Jersey. It isn't any church anywhere. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He said, search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. Connect the dots. I'm eternal life is what he's saying. Jesus Christ is eternal life. Do you have him? He that hath the Son hath life. All right, but keep, what it's, keep reading. It says, wherein in time past, now he's talking about before Jesus, ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all, God had to stick that in there, because some of you thought you were special. Not me, you know. I had a divine spark, and God just smiled on my soul when he saved me. He didn't really need to. He just made my life so much better. No, you were a hell-bound sinner that was going to split the pit open like a bullet if you didn't get saved. You were going to split hell like a bullet in all your nice dress that you're wearing today, and as polished as you look today, God looked right through you and saw the body of sin, the body of this death. He read your mind. He said, oh, my goodness, you stink like hell. That's where you're going. i got to save your soul. That's what it is. is that crude enough for you? Is that plain enough for you? That's where we are. Some of you might not come back. That's okay. But I just got to tell you straight, that's the truth. We were lost. Lost. And God said, you were following your own lust. That's what he says. He says, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past. Paul puts himself in that bucket. He goes, I was an idiot too. In the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Before you were saved, all your flesh wanted to do was disobey God. That was its default position. All a dog wants to do is eat and make other little dogs. That's all it wants. That's its desire. That's its want. That's its lust. That's its default position. Now, you can restrain that nature in a dog, but you have not changed that nature. That nature is still there. Just put it in the right situations, put a stake in front of that dog, and leave the room. You're going to have a bone there in about five minutes. Right? That's what's going to happen. And in Ephesians 2.3, it says... All you wanted before Jesus Christ saved you was to satisfy your body and your mind. That's what it's saying. You don't have to say amen. I'll say amen for you, but that's the truth. You wanted to do what felt good for your body to do like a dog. And you wanted to follow what your mind thought was right for you to follow like a fool. And religion may restrain you. Social mores may put a check on you. The law may kind of withhold some of that from you. And it might restrain that nature. But only Jesus Christ can change you. Only Jesus Christ can give you a new nature when you get saved. He gives you something that you didn't have before when you get saved. The Bible says if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Colossians 3 talks about the new man which you've put on. 2 Peter 1.4 says that ye might be partakers of the divine nature. You, as a saved child of God, can rise above the flesh. Because you're more than a body of sin. You're more than a body of death. You've got a new nature. You've got a hidden man in the heart. You've got Jesus Christ through his spirit living inside of you that gives you eternal life. You could do something different than you couldn't do before you got saved. Now look at Romans 7. 
Go back to Romans 7. Look at verse 18. Romans 7, 18. Here's Paul writing again. And I know we say it maybe jokingly, but Paul's the best Christian that I've ever read about. (laughs) He's a far better Christian than I'll ever be. He's a better Christian than any of you. He's a better Christian than all the folks I've read about in missionary histories. He's, you know, he's, Paul said, I'm a pattern, I'm a type, I'm a, I'm a model for you. That means he was a pretty good Christian, even though he wouldn't say it of himself. I could say it of him. And you know what he says in Romans 7, 18? I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. Amen. Wow. Paul, you just dropped the mic on us, Paul. What are you talking about, Paul? Do you mean before you were saved? No, he doesn't mean before he was saved. <laughs> he means since he's been saved. Right? There is the Apostle Paul telling you that while you may have a new nature, while you may have Jesus Christ living inside your heart, while you may be saved and born again and blood washed and heaven bound, guess what? You're still dragging around the old nature since you've been saved. Amen. You still got him. You know how I know that? Because the greatest Christian that ever lived, the Apostle Paul, is speaking about himself there after knowing Christ in the present tense. I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. That's all present tense verbs. You want to challenge me? I'm an English teacher. Let's go, right? I'll diagram the sentence and make your head spin, right? He says, right now, People say, oh, it's Paul before he was saved. No, no, no. He touched on salvation in chapters 4 and 5. He's talking about now after saved in 6, 7, and 8. He's saying, I still got this old nature that I'm dragging around. As our beloved Pastor Dean would often say, you're only two-thirds saved. Right? You got a spirit that's been made alive. You got a soul that has been saved. But you're still dragging around this sack of sin. You're still dragging around this body of death. You're still dragging around this body of sin. That's why it breaks. That's why it stinks. That's why it betrays you. That's why your thoughts go sideways. That's why your appetites are still driving you. That's why some of you are still being led around like a dog. Because you're still yielding to the dog that's on your back. Instead, it's to the Spirit of God. But I want to get ahead of myself. And look at verse 19 to 23. Right? Keep reading. He says, for the good that I would, I do not. But the evil, which I would not, that I do. Now, if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. You know what he's saying? Your flesh still does not want anything to do with God. Your flesh is still lost. It's still broken. It still needs to be saved, so to speak. Not like saved like you're going to heaven, but it hasn't been changed. These people talk about sinless perfection. You're out of your mind. Sinless perfection is your standing in Christ. You don't get sinless perfection in your body till he catches you up or you're done. Your flesh is lost, folks. Don't answer out loud. You're going to out yourself. 
But why can you think of a thousand excuses to miss ministry, but never one to miss your thing? I've got to have brunch with my third cousin. I mean, I, mean, I can't go to church. I've got, got to go out the bathroom three times. I mean, I, I can't go to church. I can't go out there. I can't go hand out tracts. Pat, don't you know I've got to do this and I've got to do that? I mean, you don't have to say it to me, but we say it to ourselves all the time. Hey, yesterday morning, I could have gone to a, a basketball game. I said, you know, I really got to get, get, get out there on the street. And I'm glad I did because I, I had a hand, you know, wanted to see that guy get saved. I wanted to see God do something in that man that was crossing that street. I was glad I was there to see it. But you know what? Can't, come on. Can't you think of a million excuses why you shouldn't do what God wants you to do? Amen. It was just, it fills your mind. Oh, man, the mission's tonight. Well, you know, I'm going to, you know. I need, to, I, need, I need to get that pedicure. You know, uh, uh, you know, the church thing is next week. Well, you know, I like to, I need some me time. And, you know, it's all, we just, we can, a thousand excuses. You can get in the car. Oh, no, don't go today. Don't do it today. Why oh, you got to go today? What's the, a million excuses. But never an excuse to miss your thing. You got a lunch date. You don't sit there, I got a lunch date. Oh, should I go to this lunch date? I mean, I got to wash my hair. And should I go to this lunch date? It's been such a busy week. And should I go to this lunch date? I got so much work to do. No, you go to that lunch date. And stuff your face and have a good time. And you never think twice about it. But when you got to go do something for God, this flesh is like, no! <laughs> Trying to fight you tooth and nail. Why is it so easy to open the fridge to find food, but so difficult to open the day in prayer? Like automatic, right? I mean, especially the guys. You come home from wherever you come home from. It's like the first thing before you said hello to your mom. It's like, <laughs> what's in there? And you keep opening it to think something's going to appear that wasn't there before, right? <laughs> Maybe if I open it again, a pizza will be in there. <laughs> hi, honey. Hi. Oh, hi, mom. Hi, dad. Yeah, yeah. But you know, you should start the day in prayer. Oh, I'm so busy, Pat. I, I get up at this and I got to do that and the car and the dogs. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> Why don't you have a problem watching a three-hour game, but you squirm during a one-hour message? And I'm there with you. I watched my daughter's game yesterday. I could have sat there all day. In fact, I think I yelled all day when she cooked somebody and put them in the spin cycle. She cooked somebody, drop step, boom. I said, all day. And I just yelled it out in the, in, the, in, the, in the gym. And I had a good time there. But if I go, if that clock starts getting two past 12 o'clock, mm, how long is it going to be this day? You know, <laughs> Here he goes again. You know, I, I get it. I get it. I try to honor your time. I live by a bell as well. I know. But you know what that is? I'm not trying to hate on anybody because I'm there with you. That's the flesh. I'm just trying to show you if you could say amen to any of those things, that's because you've got this sack of sin that even though you know you should pray, even though you know you should witness, even though you know you should go to church, this sack of sin is fighting you tooth and nail and doesn't want to do the things that God wants you to do. Why? Verse 23, there's a law of sin and death still alive and well and working in your old nature. It ain't just, he says it's a law. You can bank on it that this flesh is going to want to resist God. Go to Galatians 5. Go to Galatians. A couple of books, a few books to the right. All right. I'm just trying to, it's a lot of teaching today, I know, but I'll try to get to the meat of this in a few moments here. Galatians 5, verse 16. This I say then, walk in the spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh, your old nature, 
lusteth against the spirit, your new nature, and the spirit, your new nature, against the flesh, your old nature, and these, your old nature and your new nature, are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. He's saying, your old nature is going to fight your new nature till you're dead or raptured. Just prepare for the battle, right? Your biggest enemy is not the devil. Your biggest enemy is not the world. You looked at your biggest enemy in the mirror today when you brushed your teeth, and I hope you did, right? Right? That's your biggest enemy, this rotting, stinking corpse that you're dragging around. That's what it is. Jesus said, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. The flesh is unable and powerless to serve God. Unable and powerless to please God. You see what the flesh produces? It's right there in verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. He names 18 things. 666. It's completely rebellious against God. Your flesh wants nothing to do with God. That is the wish list for your flesh right now, dear child of God. Your body and your mind, apart from the Spirit of God and the Word of God and the fellowship of God's people and all those things that help you grow in the grace and knowledge, you just remove those things for a little while, that's what you're going to bring forth. It says you're not, you aren't those things. You're not a fornicator anymore, God says, but you could still commit fornication. You're not an idolater anymore as far as God is concerned because you're a son, you're a child of God by faith in Jesus Christ, but you could still commit idolatry. He says, they which do such things, and you could still do those things because you still got a nature that's very capable of doing those things. That's one of you that believes me. Because some of you are so pious. You don't want me to dull the shine on your halo. (laughs) Not me. The sparrows are resting on my halo. I didn't hear you, Pat. What were you saying? But brethren, if that's all your flesh makes... Why would you possibly try to serve God in your own strength? Because this is all broken and corrupt and twisted and messed up. I mean, are you going to trust the same understanding that conceives adultery and murder? That's in your list. Where's that stat? That starts here first, right? That's murder and adultery start here. You know, David conceived some stuff about Bathsheba before he ran out and killed a man and tried to take his wife. He was conceiving something first. You're going to trust the same understanding that could conceive adultery and murder? You're going to lean on the same body that tends to wrath, fornication, and drunkenness? That's all on the list. You're going to trust the body that just gravitates towards those things? The feelings that gravitate towards those vices? How can you please God with a heart that's given to strife, envyings, and idolatry? You see? You know, when Israel was told to build an altar in the Old Testament, you know what God said? God said, don't let your tool touch it. In Exodus 20, verse 25, he says, if thou lift up thy tool upon it, thou hast polluted it. You're going to corrupt it. You're going to taint it. You're going to violate it. What's that mean? Well, the altar was where you offered things to God, right? 
So that means if you offer things to God in your own strength, by your own ability, through your own know-how, by your own devices, guess what? You're going to ruin the work of God. You're going to spoil that work of God. You're going to mess it up, corrupted, tainted with your own stinking pride. It's like a guy with Ebola trying to cook you dinner. It might be a beautiful meal, but this guy's got Ebola. His eyes are bleeding. He's got oozing sores. And he's like, I made you this chicken. You know, he's like, it looks good. It tastes good. It might be a nice offering, but you know what? It's been corrupted and tainted because the person that's touching it has violated it. And you witnessing and praying and doing all this stuff that you do, if it's done in your own strength, through your own pride, by your own discipline, in your own know-how, you know what you've done? You touched it, you spoiled it, you ruined it. You can't just do it. If you're relying on your people's skills to be a witness from the Lord, you know what you're going to do? You're going to steal God's glory. You're going to steal the glory that God deserves alone. I'll put myself there. If I lean on my oratory to teach God's word, I've spoiled the entire message. It's worthless. God says, I can't reward that because that was you, Pat. That wasn't the spirit of God. And if I want to follow Jesus Christ, I can't just do it. Jesus said, I will do it. It seems like, what are you talking about, Pat? Let's get to our second point. If you're going to be Christ's disciple, you must follow the Lord in his strength, by his spirit. Let's go to Romans 7 again. Let's go back there. All right, I'll bounce around Romans a little bit. You notice how when we're talking about the church, we're looking at books like Romans and Galatians? Notice I don't have to dabble in Matthew and Hebrews because those books are not books written to the New Testament church. If I really want to get to ground zero of what it's like to be a Christian in this age, I go to Romans, a book of doctrine, and Galatians, a book of correction about doctrine, and that helps me sort a lot of stuff out, written by Paul, right? So Romans 7, 24, Paul says, Oh, wretched man that I am! Exclamation point. He's not asking a question. He's lamenting. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? You ever felt that cry? Have you ever, have you ever cried that cry? I have. I think I did it again this morning. Oh, wretched man that I am. The cry of the Apostle Paul is the lament of every Christian who feels trapped. Every Christian that wants to serve God and just is having this internal struggle with his own thoughts and his own lusts and his own... Now, if you don't want to serve God, you probably don't care less and you just go in the way you want to go. But I'm assuming if you're here today, you might want to do something for God. So hopefully, you know, a little bit of that struggle. It's a good struggle. It's a good fight of faith. So the question is, verse 25, he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ, O Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. So I read that and I think, are you stuck? Is there no hope for a disciple? Is there any way that your service then can please God and be an offering acceptable, a sweet savor unto the Lord? I'd like to do something that God would be pleased with, aren't, don't, don't you? Amen. I mean, for all that he's done for me, Amen. don't you wish you could do something that was just for him? Yes, not because you had to, not because you were supposed to, not because other people were watching you, that if nobody ever knew and nobody ever saw and you never got rewarded or patted on the back for it, this was just Jesus could look you at the judgment seat of Christ and say, I saw that. Amen. I saw that. And I tremble to think that I might have like two things in my entire life that maybe I could say fit in that bucket. Amen. 
but I'd like to get some more things in that bucket. I appreciate your kind words, but that's not, shouldn't be my motivation. I know there's things I should do, and very often we're driven by habit, and that's not bad. You came to church because it's Sunday, and that's what you're supposed to do. That's wonderful. That's good. I'm not saying that's bad. But I'd like to get to the place where I'm doing things because the Spirit of God is motivating me, and it's Jesus Christ working through me, and I'm doing it just for Him, just to bring Him some glory, just to please the one who called me out of darkness into His marvelous light. And if nobody gets a blessing, He got a blessing from it. That's where we should be striving for. Not just to be busy, but to be consecrated like that. The busyness is good. we got to do things. Tracks have to get handed out. Things have to get set up. I get it. But what spirit are you of? And whose spirit came from thee? That's a good question. You know what the answer is? It's in chapter 8. Right? I hear these guys say, the answer to 1984 is 1776. Well, that's, that's, that's nice. But the answer to Romans 7 is Romans 8. Amen. Right? Romans 8, verse 1 and 2. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus, hath made me free from the law of sin and death. He's saying, here's how you get a new beginning. The number eight is all about new beginnings. He says, hey, if the flesh is dragging you down, Romans 7, and you're done with it, hey, Romans 8 is how you get a new beginning with God, how you serve God in a different way, how you can rise above this flesh. Hey, the way to overcome gravity, that law is to rely on a greater law. That's how planes can fly. Gravity's dragging them down. It's a law, but the laws of lift and thrust make it possible for that hunk of metal to fly 30,000 feet in the air and defy gravity. You just need a greater law. And the way to overcome the law of sin and death is through the law of the spirit of life. And that word spirit, capital S, appears 18 times in chapter 8 alone. So if you're trying to overcome the 18 works of the flesh, I think you need the Holy Spirit that appears 18 times in chapter 8. The Spirit of God can do what you can't do, what you're unable to do. Verse 7, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, the flesh hates God. Um, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. You know what the flesh is like? It would be, my, be like me telling you right now. Don't think of a tree. Whatever you do, don't think of a tree. Don't think of the color. Don't, don't, don't do it. And you're like, I'm trying not to. Can I? You know, it's like the end of Ghostbusters, right? Don't think of anything, guys. Don't think of anything. And then the state puff marshmallow man comes walking in. Ray, you know, he was thinking of something. Some of you that have no idea what I'm talking about. Thank you for being here today. Next week we have turkey. All right. But you can't discipline yourself not to think that. The flesh is like, ha ha, I'm still thinking it. I'm still doing it. You can't stop me. But the Spirit of God can overcome it. And it's unexplainable, or else it wouldn't be of God. See verse 8. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. And now he talks to the Christians and says, But ye are not in the flesh. But in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. 
Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. You see, if you couldn't please God in the flesh before salvation, you can't please him now. So how do we get, how do we yield more to that spirit of God? How do we get that law of the spirit of life functioning more in our walk so that we can rise above this body of death and please God? All right, let's look at some verses. Verse three, number one. For what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. First thing you got to do, disciples, is disciples need to walk after the spirit. How's your walk, Christian? What are you walking after? What are you pursuing? What are you going after? You know, it's a famous person walks around, they usually have an entourage after them because they just want to hear what they have to say and you know, want to see what they have to do and you know, they just want to be close to them. Hey, what are you going after? Who are you going after? What are you walking after? I remember years ago, we went to go, you know, the, the Pope was driving down the street and, you know, you saw this huge entourage. He's in the Pope mobile because, you know, the vicar of Christ can get shot and killed. But anyway, you know, he's driving down the street and he's in his bulletproof glass and his Pope mobile and he's rolling down the street and there's everybody following him, you know, just like, you know, you know, who's your daddy? And they're trying to just, you know, they're trying to get close to him. Why? Because they're pursuing him. That was a big deal to them. That was the grand poobah to them, right? What are you following? What are you going after? What are you pursuing? Verse 5. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Let me make it more granular for you. Disciples need to think about the things of the spirit. Mind the things of the spirit. That's how you pursue it. What are you thinking about? My son's got a fantasy basketball team. He knows, you know, how many points did Porzingis get him yesterday? You know what? And I'm not saying that's evil or bad, but you know what? You're thinking about things that you're pursuing. What are you thinking about? That's a good tell of what you're going after. You're going after the flesh? Me, 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 my, 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 my. You're tuning up for that chorus, I know. Me, 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 me. My, 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 my. If it's all me and my, you know. I don't know where God is in that equation. How about this? Verse 13. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Disciples are supposed to deny their flesh, deny their urges, deny their wants, deny their desires, deny that stuff, and follow the Spirit. So let me ask you again. Who's leading you? Who's leading you? Say, I just want. I just want this. And I just want that. Hey, what about what God wants? What about what the Bible says? What about what the nail-pierced Savior would like of you? You unthankful ingrate. What about the one with the crown of thorns that marked his brow? What about the ones with the spear that pierced his side? What about the ones whose soul was made an offering for sin? We don't ever think about what he wants. We just go after what we want. Because it's my life, it's now or never. <clears throat> yeah, you're going to live forever. You might as well do something with it now so your forever is better than what it is today. You are going to live forever. 
Why would you lay forever on the altar of the here and now? Crazy talk, man. Crazy. Crazy. I've done everything from Ghostbusters to Bon Jovi. I don't know what else I got. Galatians 5. Galatians 5 again. You know who I'm preaching at? Me. I'm preaching to myself more than anything. I'm more frustrated with me than I am with you. Because you see this thing, you look into that mirror and you say, oh, wretched man that I am. Right? That's a good question to ask yourself. Keep reading Galatians 5. You know what happens when you yield? You know what happens when you deny your flesh and follow the Spirit's leading? You know what you bring forth? Galatians 5.22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Because you rise above the law of sin and death when you bring forth those qualities. And when you yield to the Spirit of Christ, you manifest the character of Christ in your life. And if Christ is the only one that pleases the Father, then isn't that what you want to bring forth? If you want to please the Father? If Jesus Christ is the only one that can get that commendation, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased, you need the Spirit of Christ to manifest Christ in your life. Listen, we studied on Thursday, we did the book of Acts. Some of you have no idea what I said because you don't watch it, that's fine. But you know, for those of you that might pay attention, we did the book of Acts. Good book to know, good book to not get yourself tripped up in. You know what the book of Acts is about? The calling out and establishment of the New Testament church. We're living in the wake of that right now. You know what Acts is all about? It's about the Spirit of Christ working through his apostles. Because he's gone, but he's still working. How's he working? His Spirit is working. It's working through Peter. It's working through James. It's working through John. It's working through Philip. It's working through Paul. And that Spirit, that door hasn't closed yet. That Spirit still wants to work. That Spirit wants to do things through you. Yeah, he's not here, but his spirit lives inside of you and among us when we gather. You know what that spirit wants to do? It wants to work through you like he did back there. Go to Philippians 2. Go to Philippians 2. I'm almost there. Philippians 2. Philippians 2.12. Philippians 2.12. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. You see that? Prepositions are important words. If you don't know what a preposition is, I weep for you. (laughs) Right? He says, work out what God is working in. You don't have to work up anything. You have to work out what God's working in. God says, I want to work in you, and you just got to let that out, right? He says, I'll do it. I will do it. Just get out of the way, son, and let me work. Let me yield. Let me, let me show you what I can do. Philippians 2.5, that's the only way you'll become the model servant this chapter is talking about. Philippians 2 is about the model servant. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. What is he saying? I want to work this into you so it starts working out all around you. Folks, dads, you want to know the best thing you can do to be a good dad? 
get closer to Christ. Moms, you want to be a better mommy, a better grandma? Get closer to Christ. You want to be a better witness? Oh, there's classes and books and stuff that you could do to hone your skills. But hey, get close to the one that is the witness. Right? right? You want to be a better Christian? There is nothing more fellowship, more important on planet Earth than your personal fellowship with Jesus Christ. That's more important than anything you do is your close, intimate, private communion with the one who is life. You get close to him and everything else starts to fall into place. Without a book or a seminar or a lecture, it'll just start to fall into place. Get close to the one that's altogether lovely. Philippians 1.6, look at that. Look at his promise there. He says, Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing that he which hath begun a good work in you, he started when you got saved, amen? Are you saved? He started something there, but he's not finished there. He was just getting warmed up. Now there's another movie, right? But being confident of this very thing that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. The God that saved you by his work wants to work through you. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. 1 Thessalonians 5.24. So let's go to the book of John. Let's, let's circle back to the book of John. And I'll leave you with some thoughts from John. Is it making any sense? I know it can feel like, like ethereal, like what are you saying? But meditate upon these things. Think about it. Pray through these things. This is the Christian life. It's not you working for God. It's a work of God. God working through you. So if God has called you to service by the gospel, he's faithful to do his work through you since you believe the gospel, if you'll let him, if you'll yield. But you know what? Too often disciples are like car, car owners who drive their car into a ditch and get stuck. That's what we're like. We call on the Lord to save us from the fall because of our bad driving and our bad choices. But as soon as we're back on the road, we grab the wheel and we try to do it ourselves. Thanks, Jesus. I'm going to just do it now myself. It's crazy. It's crazy. You couldn't help yourself before salvation. How are you helping yourself now? You couldn't work up pleasing God before you were saved. How are you going to work it up now apart from him? Too many of us are running on fumes. We're busy. We're taking twists and turns in this Christian road, this Christian life. But you know what? We've got the wheel. God says, I'm supposed to be in the yoke with you. You follow my lead, and I'll be okay. You know what that requires? I'm going to tell you what that requires, and it's scary. Faith. It's a walk of faith. For we walk by faith as ye have believed in Christ Jesus, so walk ye in him. You believe by faith, you're supposed to walk by faith. Say, how is getting closer to Jesus going to clean up my mouth? Watch. How is getting closer to Jesus going to fix my marriage? Watch. How is getting closer to the Savior going to fix all these other things? Pat, no, i got to fix these other things. And when I fix these other things, then I'll have time for Jesus. Eh, wrong. You got it backwards, son. You got it backwards, sister. You get close to the one who's the source of life, and you know what? He'll fix everything. That water of life that rushes out from under the throne in the millennium can rush out into your life right now. If you let him, that spirit of God, 
So how does a disciple just let Jesus Christ do it? What counsel does Jesus Christ give his men in the upper room? I was racking my brain thinking about the upper room because the upper room is kind of like where we are right now. Antichrist is on the scene. End is near. I mean, those disciples, if Jesus was going to come back, they only had about three and a half years. They didn't have a lot of time for Jesus Christ to return. So it's very similar to our time now, right, in that upper room. Jesus Christ's imminent return, he's leaving. His imminent return is upon them. There's an antichrist on the scene. The world's going to turn against them. The world is against them, and it's going to get more hostile towards them, which is going to happen to you, Christians. So what did he say to them? I grabbed two things, John 14, verse 13. He said, And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If he shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. You know what the first thing I see is? First, Christ's disciples must connect to the source of power. That's prayer. That's communion. First thing he says is, you got to connect to me, man. Got to talk to me. Got to let me talk to you. Got to be some communion here. Right? Can't muscle this one out. You can't just do it. Can't just do it on your own strength. And then I look at chapter 15, and I read him say this in chapter 15. Verse 5, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them into the fire and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. I see first, you got to connect, commune, that's prayer. Secondly, you got to abide in the source of power, that's the word of God. Abiding in it. Not just reading your chapter today to keep the devil away, but meditating on it, memorizing it if you need to do it, studying it, really applying it to your life, proving it, you know, doing something with it, just abiding in it. Listen, if I want my car to run properly, I need to connect to the fuel source and then fill up my vessel. Prayer is how we connect, and the Word of God is what fills us up. Right? Those two things, that's how you function properly. And if I want to bear much fruit as a disciple, I need to commune with and abide in Christ. He is made unto us power. He is our power. He is our source. And if the upper room is Christ's instructions before the end, what did Jesus Christ tell us, man? Have you ever really thought about that, that, that discourse in the upper room? What is he talking to him about? got to do this, and you got to do that. Make sure you do more of this. Make sure you do more of that. That's none of his message. It struck me just this week. What did he tell them? Chapter 13, you know what he told them first? Love each other to death. That was the first thing he told them. Wash each other's feet. Love each other to death. This is my commandment. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one to another. He spends almost a whole chapter 13 just talking about how they're supposed to love on each other and wash each other's feet. That's the first. I think that's the first thing we got to get. I know there's a lot of people dying out there, but if we're healthy in here, we can handle out there. So we got to love on each other and wash each other's feet and 
have that servant's heart one toward another. And then we'd be equipped as a body to step out there into a dark and scary world. That's first. You know what he says in chapter 14? A very big nutshell, I know. He talks about prayer in chapter 14. He talks about the Holy Spirit in chapter 14. He says he's coming. He's going to be inside of you. Then chapter 15, you know what he talks about? He talks about the Holy Spirit again. He says he's going to teach you and guide you into all truth. Not speak of himself and all that stuff. And then he talks about abiding in chapter 15. Hey, where's the outline for what we're supposed to be doing with our remaining time? You know what he's saying? Abide. Love each other. Pray. Holy Spirit. Abide. In chapter 16, you know what he's talking about chapter 16? Again, Holy Spirit. Here's what the Holy Spirit's going to do. Not what you're going to do, Peter, because you're a knucklehead. Not what you're going to do, Pat. You're an idiot. What the Holy Spirit's going to do through you. Holy Spirit. Spirit of Christ. Here's what I'm going to do when I come to you through my spirit. And he leaves him with this thought. You're going to face some opposition. That's like the rough outline of the upper room discourse. Love each other. Pray. Lean on the Holy Spirit. Abide. Follow the Holy Spirit. Be used of the Holy Spirit. Opposition's coming. Not what are you supposed to do? What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? Hey, it's what you're supposed to be. Before Jesus Christ comes, you know what? We don't need more occupation. We need more consecration. Before that Antichrist appears or rears his ugly head, whatever he's going to do, we don't need more classes. And I love discipleship too, and we should learn the Bible. I get it. But we don't need more classes. We need more Christ. We need more of his spirit to have more of us. That's what we need. We need to be like John leaning on that bosom and trying to hear the heartbeat of God. He's a type of the church, and that's where John was before the end. That's where I'm supposed to be, as close as I can get. Why wasn't Peter there? Why wasn't James there? How come Bartholomew was too busy eating a cracker? And John, the type of the church, wanted to get so close that he wanted to hear God's heartbeat, that he could actually say, Lord, who is it? Who is that man of sin that's going to appear? I'm supposed to get that close. And before you just do whatever the it is you think God wants you to do, parent, preach, witness, pastor, whatever it is you think you're supposed to do, you need the Lord of the labor before you labor for the Lord. That's the object lesson of the upper room. He gives them a discourse on that before they go do anything. He says, boys, you better get this before you charge hell with the proverbial squirt gun. You better get this if you want to have any power. You know what Hudson Taylor said? Hudson Taylor said, I used to ask God to help me. Then I asked if I might help him. I ended up asking God to do his work through me. Right? I've been in all three of those steps. God, I just want you to help me do what I think I want to do for you. And God, can I help you out? And finally, you live a little bit you fail a lot, and you realize, Lord, can you just, can you just do it through me? Because I can't do it. We prayed that in the prayer room today. I can't do it. I need you to do it. I can't be the husband I want to be. I'm a selfish jerk. Lord, could you do that through me? Lord, I can't be the dad I'm supposed to be. I'm a selfish jerk. Can you just work through me? I can't be the light I want to be at work. I'm a selfish jerk. Can you work that out? Can you help me? Can you work through me? I can't be the 
preacher or the friend or the whatever I'm supposed to be here. I'm a selfish jerk. Lord, just do it through me. I want to yield to your spirit of God. See, but Pat, how's it going to work? How's it going to fix? How's it going to improve? I don't know. I have to trust. I have to yield. I have to surrender with no promise of what's going to happen. I have to walk by faith and not by sight. And Hudson Taylor, in his writing, The Spiritual Secret, he writes about a friend who wrote this letter to him about just dying in Christ and, and trusting Christ. And Hudson Taylor, who'd lost a wife and lost children and was suffering from nerves and sleepless nights, this great man of God who was going through the things that we all go through, he said it was like a breath of fresh air. It was like a, an epiphany. He felt such joy that he knew that if he just yielded, God would give him everything he needs. He says, if he's going to take me through difficulty, he's going to have to give me grace to go through it. You know what that takes? That takes a bucket of faith. And that's the walk of the disciple. It's a walk by faith, drawing on the power. That's the lesson of the upper room. That's the lesson we all have to get. Can we finish in Jeremiah 17? I know I said it was going to be John, but just read this verse and then we'll pray. All right? Does that make any sense to you? All right. Happy to clarify, because I haven't gotten it either, folks, just so you know. I haven't apprehended. I feel like I'm standing on a, I feel like I'm standing on a precipice, and I could see the freedom of just jumping into his arms, and I, I feel myself having those doubts. Well, what's going to happen if I, and what's going to happen with this, and what's going to happen with that, and I just want the grace to just step out. Amen. So pray for me. I, I want to step out. I want to go higher. I want to see God do something. I've done so many things with these crooked hands. I'd like to see it just be God. Just be God. He gets all the glory because he's the one doing it. I will do it. You know why? Because the mantras and the mindset of the world have no place among Christ's disciples. Nike is a false Greek god of the pantheon. (laughs) Just do it is the adage of a murderer. That's a great object lesson to me. That tells me that the Laodicean spirit of self-sufficiency, of just do it, is straight out of hell. Now, I'm not throwing my Nikes out, all right? I'm not putting my sneakers in the garbage today, all right? Don't get nervous, guys. You want to wear your blazers to youth group, I'm not going to be offended, right? I'm not saying that. I'm just saying our mentality can't be what the world is telling us. It ain't rugged individualism. As a Christian, that's Americana, right? We're just going to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. That's rugged individualism. That's Americana. Yeah, because we're Americans. Yeah. God says, no, you're a Christian. You're a Christian. You're supposed to be weak, humble, and broken. I don't like that. I do not like that, Jesus. Yeah, well, that's the upper room, my friend. That's the discourse of the upper room. You'll be hated. You'll be betrayed. Don't stumble. My spirit is coming. I'm going to work through you. Abide. Pray. Rest. Commune. Love each other. That's the message of the upper room. And in Jeremiah 17, 5, the Bible says, Thus saith the Lord, Jeremiah 17, 5, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man, and maketh flesh his arm, and whose heart departeth from the Lord, for he shall be like the heath.
tumbleweed in the desert. And shall not see when good cometh, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness, in a salt land and not inhabited. Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord, and whose hope the Lord is. For he shall be as a tree planted by the waters, that spreadeth out her roots by the river, and shall not see when heat cometh, but her leaf shall be green, and shall not be careful in the year of drought, neither shall ye cease from yielding fruit. If you want fruit that lasts, it's got to be Christ work in you. Jesus has to just do it. Let's bow our heads.